And Mother's Day, uh, typically I'd love to have a woman coming in and, and preaching, and there were a few that I asked, and they were just like, well, Linda's away for one, for an example, and a couple others I asked were just like, oh man, we just want to have a, have a quiet Sunday and sit in the service, and, and so you're stuck with me on Mother's Day, so that's, that's okay, hey, thanks guys. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know what, I'm just going to stay right away from that one. Um, yeah, so anyway, but it is, it is such an honor uh, to speak to you. I actually don't f- feel like I, I don't feel like I'm in the wrong place speaking to you. I, I feel like it's really important for me as a, as a pastor to be a pastor to the men and the women of the, of the congregation. And of course, uh, Anna walks with me in that, but uh, it's, uh, it's um, you know, I really care about you guys and we love you and appreciate you and respect you so much. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit uh, through the book of Acts. We're sort of in the middle of a series leading up to Pentecost, and we'll actually go a little bit past Pentecost, uh, looking at living a life of vitality in the book of Acts. And what we're actually going to do here, which is something I've not really done before, is I've not just gone through Acts sort of verse by verse and identified the stories of the incredible women in the early church and just told some of their stories. And, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, and when you think, like how many of you, which, what women in the early church can you kind of think of that, that, are, that are sort of players there? Can you list more than, sorry? Priscilla, Priscilla yeah. How many can you list? Sorry? Lydia. Lydia Mary. Mary Tabitha. Tabitha. Deborah, that wouldn't be in the early church so much, James. Um, we'll be working on biblical literacy with you later. Um, but you know, like there's, there's a few, we can list a handful, but there's actually, uh, and I'm not even going to hit all of them in this sermon, but there's close to 30 women that get mentions in various roles serving and leading in the church in the book of Acts, Romans, and, and a couple of other places. We're just going to hit them and, uh, and tell their stories. Um, and, and just have a look at them. So, yeah, so we're just going to look at uh, vitality that's f- sort of flooded through the church from, the, from women uh, through the book of Acts and on. And I'm just going to just start plowing through some of these texts and some of these verses and just making a few observations as we go. Um, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 4, or sorry, we're looking at 48, but we're actually looking at 14. It says this, it says... Uh, it's right at the very beginning. Uh, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And, and even just that, now Luke was really good at just noting things and really including details that he felt was important. Do you know this was like the first co-ed prayer meeting between men and women in, in Jewish culture? Right, real deal. Like, like, how, how many of you were at the Wailing Wall um, and visiting Jerusalem? Vince was there. Were the men and women at that wall together? It's totally separate, right? So this is something even even at the beginning uh, from the church, the way Jesus operated with women uh, created an understanding among the disciples that uh, encountering God was something that men and women could do together. And just that fact of them praying together, that was a, a radical step forward in the early church. Moving on to Acts chapter 2, uh, when Peter's giving his amazing address, the first sort of big evangelistic sermon we see after Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18 says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, this is something that he's quoting from the book of Joel. Uh, Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Uh, A nodding to uh, spiritual gifts for, for both of the genders. That this is not going to be just a man's deal. This is not going to be a deal where uh, the men get a spiritual blessing and the women serve the coffee. This is not the, uh, the way that the church was designed. Uh, the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on men and women and they were going to prophesy. They were going to speak the word of the Lord together. Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. <clears throat> Never, man, I've got my references wrong. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So Luke is noting uh, that salvation and belonging was coming for men and women together. Uh, They believed together and men and women were added to their number. Acts chapter 5. Nevertheless, more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Uh, We just looked at that, Acts 8, 12. uh, But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, this is Philip the evangelist, and the name of Jesus, they were baptized both men and women. Why did Luke need uh, need to note this? Because it was unusual, because it wasn't something that would have made sense to the people in the culture. You would baptize the men, and the women would be uh, brought into salvation because their husbands had been baptized. That's how it would sort of work in that culture. But all of a sudden, the choice, the decision to follow Jesus was noted as a decision that was need to be made by women as individuals. Again, a very unique thing in the church. Now we're going to get into just some of the stories. Uh, Acts chapter 9, 36 to 44. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. So a disciple, along with the 12 male disciples, all of the 120 disciples, many were men and women. Jesus had lots of women who uh, was with him as he was teaching. Uh, In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was, uh, which is really one of the funniest names in the Bible. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, It's really hard to get past that, but so what derailed me, what can I say? Um, uh, Her name was Dorcas, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. So you can be alone in a woman. He doesn't have to follow the Billy Graham rule when she's dead. So that's just just a note. Uh, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. So just as important as the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, following in the footsteps of Jesus, the miracles that we saw the apostles doing, uh, this miracle for this incredible woman, uh, Tabitha, who was serving the poor and caring for the poor, a pillar in the early church, uh, somebody who was making a tremendous impact. Another uh, one here, Acts chapter 12, uh, 12. Uh, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Mary, obviously, this, this idea that she had a large house that lots of people could be in, she was, she was a wealthy, single female benefactor and leader in the early church. 
She was a benefactor of the early church. As she was a female, she had a household. And we will see numerous examples in the uh, New Testament of women who were leading things in their households and caring for the church. We're just celebrating these incredible ladies, Mary, the mother of John. Uh, going ahead into Acts chapter 16, 13 to 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This is Paul and the guys he's traveling with. We sat down and began to speak to the women. This is not something that Jewish rabbis do, that Jewish males do. This is certainly not something that Pharisees do. Uh, Paul had been transformed. He's sitting down uh, with the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. So she would have been a Jewish woman, a Jewish businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. Uh, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Detail in the Luke. This woman persuaded Paul to do a thing. Can you believe that a woman could persuade a man to do a thing? It's right there in the Bible. It, it can actually happen. It, it's scriptural. Uh, so, uh, but again, here's a Christian female entrepreneur, right? She gives her heart to the Lord, and she's leading. She's running a business. She's serving, and it's worth noting her, worth noting her role. And there's lots more we could do to unpack the life of Lydia, but let's just uh, keep going on. Acts chapter 17, 34. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Uh, skipping on, there's, there's quite a bit more of a story there, uh, to verse 40. Among them, a woman named Damaris. So here's strong Greek women who are uh, celebrated for turning their hearts to the Lord, uh, for hearing uh, God. And, and I think the piece that I love about this is that, um, you know, there's, there's nothing about them that was, was threatening. You know, it's like, come and be part of the church. Come and be part of the community. We're going to talk about you. We're going to celebrate you. You're welcome to be among us. They're, they're celebrated as becoming a part of the church. They're noted in the scriptures. Acts chapter 18, 17 to 18. Meanwhile, a Jew uh, named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You know how rare it is in the scriptures to see a husband and wife with the wife's name in the lead position? It was Priscilla that was driving this process. To see that this man, Apollos, uh, would be taught the full story of the gospel. It was she who invited them into the home with her husband, with the safety of his presence there, and it was she who drove uh, some process of teaching. Everyone who, in a scholarly way, unpacks this just, just can't understand why Priscilla's in the lead position. And the reason she's in the lead position is because she was the leader. 
It's just not something that we talk about in, in, in churches very much. But, but we have this precedent of, of incredible women leading in the church and serving. Um, let's go on. Acts chapter 21, verses 8 to 9. Uh, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who uh, prophesied. Uh, One of the daughters, uh, just to unpack her story from what we know from church history, her name was Hermione. And Hermione was a missionary. Hermione was a was a, a woman who went out from that household of Philip when she became of age and actually went to a number of different places in Asia as somebody who was there uh, serving and preaching the gospel. And uh, Hermione was actually martyred and persecuted uh, under the uh, persecution of the Emperor Trajan who who saw what she was doing. The, the leaders saw that she was preaching, that she was having an impact and demanded that she close her mouth and that she shut down and uh, and ultimately, she refused to stop sharing the Jesus story and was martyred for it. One of the first female martyrs in the life of the early church, St. Hermione. Acts chapter 22. Uh, I, this is Paul talking now, uh, telling his story from back in the day when he was a Pharisee. Acts 22 chapter 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Paul, as a Pharisee, saw these women in the early church as a threat and thought we might as well kill them along with the men. So there's just a badge of honor for you right there, right? So, so women playing this incredible role in the church. Um, Saul saw them as a threat. Uh, going on, now we're going to go into Romans. We're going to take a jump into the book of Romans chapter 16 because Paul gives greetings to a whole bunch of people in the city of Rome and, and sort of people that he's going to uh, send the letter to along the way who are going to get to read it. And he just goes through this, this incredible list of people. Uh, Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Senecre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. So a woman sent out as a messenger, a missionary, a servant by Paul to go into that place and with his endorsement to go and minister and to serve. Now, does this make any of us, like, if we're really honest, those of us who grew up in, in really conservative uh, church backgrounds, does this make some of us a little bit uncomfortable hearing about these, these women? Like, when you, when you hear their stories all together, it, it's a different deal than when you see them sort of spread out in the scripture. You think, oh, that's an interesting, I don't know what to do with that one. Oh, that's an interesting one, I don't know what to do with that one. But here it is, a list of woman after woman after woman after woman who were figures that had some significant role in the early church, and we're just going to keep uh, unpacking them. Uh, here's another mention uh, to, um, of Priscilla and Aquila. This is Romans 16. Uh, my, co- my co-workers in Christ Jesus... So now Priscilla and Aquila are theoretically have moved on to Rome, right? They've gone on to Rome to serve there from where they were. Um, they're uh, missionaries, leaders, whatever exactly their role is, we don't know. Uh, they've gone on from Ephesus, now they're in Rome. Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers with Christ Jesus. That language clearly talks about some sort of high-level partnership with those two. And again, the name Priscilla in the lead here for some reason. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. 
So they're well known in all of these churches in the, in the Roman world. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Verse 6, now greet Mary who worked hard from you. And I just made a note, isn't that Mary who worked hard? It was a Mary who was a Martha. I just thought that was kind of cool. So just, just, just have fun with that. Um, but, but what this causes us to wrestle with is, is there's really a couple of passages in the scriptures that, that are hard to, harder to grapple with, aren't they? Aren't there? Are some of you familiar with some of the, the passages in, in scripture? First uh, Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, and First Timothy uh, chapter 2, 11 to 12. Uh, we look at this mass of women, and we're going to look at a few more still who uh, are, are useful in the early church. If you look at Priscilla and Aquila, she seems to have almost a teaching, correcting role over Apollos. That's a strange thing when you consider these other passages that we're going to look at. But somehow, uh, she seems to have had that role. That's what the Bible is telling us. That's what the text is telling us. Corinthians chapter 14, 34, and 35, we hear Paul saying this. He says, women should remain silent in the churches. Sorry, I should have this up on the screen. Uh, They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Well, that's the real reason we haven't got one of you in the pulpit today. It's not true. We, we allow uh, women preachers in this church. Uh, the Vineyard uh, movement as a whole has made a decision a number of years ago to include women in the full breadth of ministry. There's uh, position papers on that if you want to read and understand the movement came to that scripturally. But, but how are we to understand this one, t- uh, this whole thing? Paul saying, you know, women should remain silent in the churches. How are, how are we to understand this? Uh, the way that most scholars understand it is to look at um, that specific context in Corinth and to look at uh, what was happening in the church, this broad sort of issue in the church that he was addressing of impropriety in worship and people worshiping out of turn and people having uh, time at the feasts where the people who had lots would have lots and the people who were starving uh, would starve. There was an incredible mix-up in that swirl, in that whole Corinthian context of people speaking out of turn and serving out of turn and, and prophesying when they shouldn't and speaking in tongues when they should be prophesying and gifts being mixed up. So that's the context. So Paul is bringing some order here. And what most scholars do when they unpack this is they, they see that uh, what was happening in there and a number of places in the Roman world was that we're being allowed to be taught and being allowed to hear the gospel, being allowed to be part with the men in the ecclesia, the called out gathering of believers to hear, but none of them had grown up in the Jewish pattern and the Jewish understanding of what it is to be a learner in a situation. None of them knew what it meant to be in a classroom. And so we see in that place, just as they would with a man, just as they would with a boy, if I'm preaching and is like constantly interrupting me and like, yeah, but what about... Yeah, but what about that? But what about that? Right? In a Jewish classroom, when the Jewish rabbis were teaching, those kinds of questions uh, weren't, really, uh, weren't really allowed in the moment of the delivery of information. That level of interruption wasn't allowed in that place. And what we think is that those women just didn't know what the rules were for sitting in a classroom. And so he's addressing that specific issue with them because he's having people go into these ter- churches and teach and they're finding it difficult to deliver the message that was offered 
to them. They're finding it difficult to teach. So he's teaching the women the rules of what it is to be part of a Jewish school, what it is to be part of that community, and, and to teach and learn. And just like any little boy in a Jewish school, uh, when the rabbi is delivering the teaching to the child, he's not permitted to interrupt the lesson, but then he goes home and digests the lesson with his parents. And so that's what they're saying to the women here. That lesson that you've received, uh, when the time of interaction with the teacher is over, then you go home and you learn from your parents and you ask them. And that's the way some teaching is transmitted and reinforced back to the parents in that model of teaching. And so uh, what most scholars believe is that that's sort of what Paul is pointing to in that specific place. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, it says this, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She should be quiet. And what we believe he's addressing here is uh, this, this place of a woman actually usurping authority in the classroom again. Right? That uh, to assume, uh, to assume authority. She, she must remain quiet. Just like any boy in the classroom who is, uh, who is like taking over the lesson from the teacher. Have you ever been in a home church or a Bible study like that? Where, uh, where there's this guy who's, who's just taking over the lesson all the time and not listening? That's just the same deal, right? Where, um, where they're just teaching, okay, the women need to learn the rules of how we communicate and how we sit through a sermon together. So we think that's what's happening in those two, in those two cases. Because the, the thing that overrides the idea that this is a universal law that ought to be applied everywhere is uh, the examples of these women leaders that we have that are leading churches in their homes, hosting churches in their homes. Uh, Priscilla, um, all of the stuff we see in the early church of women serving really freely, the Holy Spirit being poured out them, the gifts being poured out on them, gifts of teaching, gifts of, of all these things. Do you know that there, there are women who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach? And those gifts were poured out on sons and daughters in the early church. And so that's why uh, that case is there, these women. And then there's this example that this is sort of the most important and the most sort of uh, challenging and controversial example of a a woman leader in the early church in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 7. Uh, And it's just this greeting from Paul. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Wait a second. Now we have a female apostle. And then she's been a controversial figure in the last 100 years, 200 years in the life of the church. If I open up this Bible and look at Romans chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, And if I open up a copy of the Bible, uh, the NIV, the same translation from before 2011, it says, greet Andronicus and Junius. (laughs) This guy who's, who's a male. So which version is right? The version that you grew up reading... Uh, in the la- that, that's been a Bible translation in English for the last uh, 150, 200 years where Andronicus and Junius are two dudes who are outstanding among the apostles? Or is it this more recent translation, Junia? What does the scholarship say about who this character was? And if we begin to unpack it and we begin to look uh, at the story of this name and of this person, what we're going to see is that in the early church... 
uh, one, in the context, in the Roman world, the name Junius as a male name simply didn't exist. We have extra biblical literature that shows us the character Junia in all kinds of different places and lists and roles uh, in, the, in the church, uh, and not just in the church, but outside the church, in business, in Roman records. We see this character, this name Junia, but we don't see the name uh, Junius. Um, we see that in early translations uh, from the Greek that the name is a female name. The first reference to Andronicus and Junia as honorable men that we have, um, that's a really solid reference in church history, happened in 1292. Before that, in all of the writings of the church fathers, Junius, this one who is great among the apostles, was referred to as a woman by, by all of the church leaders, by all of the early church writings. Uh, in a Latin to German translation by a man named Lefebvre, uh, and, and that translation was used by Luther, and that's why it became influential, um, that he also translated it into a male's name. But this is what Luther thought of women. Here's a quote from Luther on women. The purpose of women was to bear children, and if they died in childbirth, so what? <laughs> that's Martin Luther, hero of the Reformation. So we can see why he might have liked Lefebvre's translation. He, he also had terrible, terrible attitudes towards Jewish people. He was an anti-Semite. Early church writers uh, er, referred to Junia as a woman. And again, there's a ton more detail to unpack in terms of the language, where the accents go on the letters, uh, different things that we see in different transcripts. But, uh, you know, just a general high-level look at this for us. Um, St. John Chrysostom on Junia in 346 AD says this, to be an apostle is something great. To be outstanding among the apostles, just think what a wonderful song of praise that is. They were outstanding on the basis of their works and virtuous, virtuous actions. Indeed, how great the wisdom of this woman must have been that she was deemed worthy of the title apostle. And we see just, just tons of references to, to this woman, Junia, in the writings of the, of the early church fathers. So, I mean, this is, this is just part of your story, women. A, a part that I think has been, been covered up. And again, there are still some people who will debate this from a, a scholarly perspective. But by far, uh, most biblical scholars in conservative and even like the translators of the NIV now are, have come to it, translators of the ESV, uh, translators of, of most versions of the scriptures uh, will look at this person and just have to say honestly, there's, there's no way to understand this person other than that it was a female and that she was an apostle. There was a very brief attempt in scholarship to uh, unpack the phrase great among the apostles and define it as um, well-liked by the apostles or appreciated by the apostles. And the scholarly work tore that apart you know, very shortly. And eventually the argument is, is, is essentially given up. Although there's still some really conservative people that argue. But there's, there's just the massive scholarship tells us that this 
woman was an apostle. Ladies, you have a woman apostle in the scriptures, I believe. And don't tell me she didn't teach any men anything. I doubt very much she was an apostle just to the women. So you should know that there are some of you here that have callings, some of you that have gifts, and because of what you've been taught, you've been restricted. You've been held back. There might be some of you here in the community that might have, um, uh, you know, might might still really hold to a view that women can't be in ministry. Uh, That's something that we could talk about, but our movement as a whole uh, we, we believe just, just from our study of the scriptures, and we have position papers on this, that women are to be released. If the Holy Spirit is to be poured out on them, they're allowed to preach. And that's just where we're at a, at a movement. They, so I want to say to you, as, as a man, you, you belong. You belong. You have a place in this church. You have a place in our movement. There's a place for you just going to touch some of these other incredible uh, women. Romans chapter 16, greet, uh, and my, again, my pronunciation is probably terrible, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. There's a great Mother's Day quote. Uh, that word uh, to labor, work hard in the Lord, is exhausting labor, to labor until worn out and depleted, like he's honoring the incredible self-sacrifice of this woman. Uh, Romans chapter 16, greet Philologus, (laughs) Julia, Nerus, and his sister, Olympus, and all of the Lord's people who are with him. Give my, sorry, Give my greetings to the brothers and the sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and to Nympha and to the church in her house, speaking of a home church leader. Galatians 3.8, this is Paul teaching. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the rallying cry of the early church. Now, I, 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 I don't mean to cause a, a controversy or cause massive discomfort for some of you who, who have been uncomfortable with, with this whole idea of women in ministry and the role of women in the church, but uh, we at OVB have a female board chair that we love and respect. Uh, we have um, a, a community that, that believes that women have a place. And if you're here and you're here as a woman and you felt like you've had a calling to serve, you felt like you've had something to say and, and you felt restricted in it, uh, we believe, I believe from the Holy Spirit that he wants to set you free. Not to be bombastic or foolish or uh, anything that any Christian isn't supposed to be. But you're supposed to be free. So let's just take a moment and pray for giftings and uh, the Holy Spirit to fall on our women, for them to be released, for them to be recognized, for them to be set free. (coughs) 
Holy Spirit, we, we celebrate the amazing uh, vitality of women in the church. We celebrate that your Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. We call the sons and the daughters to prophesy. We recognize these incredible women in the early church who had uh, so many amazing roles and who made such an incredible impact. We recognize the female entrepreneurs in the early church, the female homeowners and heads of households uh, who led their homes uh, to faith. We celebrate the amazing benefactors of the early church. We celebrate Priscilla, who helped straighten out Apollos. We celebrate uh, Junia, the apostle. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to bless our women. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Cause them to rise up uh, with the men in humility and respect as who they are, not having to be men, not having to be something they're not, but to be who they are and to rise up in the church and take their place. And we call the men to do the same, Lord. Would you empower your church to every person, man or woman, who's felt uh, restricted in their gifts uh, because they haven't been able to believe that you've poured yourself out on them, would you begin to release them and empower them? Empower leaders, God. Would you heal the hearts of women who have been shamed? you set them free? Would you bless the moms? Thank you for your word. Pray for anyone who, uh, whose noodle got baked this morning.
Come, Holy Spirit. There's a real sense of the Holy Spirit's presence, just sort of, it feels to me like what he's doing is he's actually just washing some of us. Maybe washing uh, some of our ladies. Washing shame off of them. Come, Holy Spirit, keep doing your work. For every woman here who's felt separated from the scriptures. For every woman with an inkling of a teacher gift who's been afraid to read the scriptures as a teacher, Lord, would you set her free? For every woman who's been afraid to ask me a hard question, would you set her free? For every woman who's been indoctrinated to feel smaller and to feel less than, would you set her free? For every woman who feels like the Bible might be a man's book, would you set her free? 
Lord, in a time when we're just desperate for leadership in the church, the church in North America, we're trying to fight a losing battle with one hand tied behind our back. Would you release our women leaders to lead in health and integrity? love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you together. We celebrate those first meetings that Jesus led and Jesus taught where men and women could come before the throne together. set us free from men who think they need to be like women and women who think they need to be like men. Let us be ourselves, Father. But let each one be celebrated. and Let every voice that needs to be heard be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.